This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. It's time to hear another tale of the Old West that centers on a good guy who wears a mask, rides a horse called Silver, and his six-gun is loaded with silver bullets. That's right, the Lone Ranger's on the way with his trusty Indian friend Tonto riding at his side. Tonight's episode, it's called Murder for Profit. Of light, the cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. Indian companion Tonto, the masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. The stories of his strength and courage, his daring and resourcefulness have come down to us through the generations, and nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver, there's trouble on the trail ahead. The 
courtroom was packed with townsmen who came to hear Cyrus Hawkins sentenced. The hum of excited voices rose and fell on the warm air, and the atmosphere was charged with tense expectancy. Movement stirred in the crowded doorway and in the tall open windows where latecomers sought entrance into the courtroom. The charge was murder. Witnesses who claimed to have seen the act committed made the verdict of guilty a certainty. But the pros and cons of the case still held the excited interest of the crowd. Then a sudden hush fell over the room as the judge made ready to address the prisoner and a gavel rapped for silence. The prisoner will stand. <clears throat> Cyrus Hawkins, you have been found guilty of murderous charged in the indictment. Have you anything to say before this court passes sentence? Just this. I'm no more guilty of murder than you are. I tell you, Judge, this whole thing is a frame-up. That's all that you have to say? It's not all I... I've got to say, not by a jugful. Every doggone one of those witnesses lied through his teeth. Well, look at me. I never so much as heard a grasshopper. Seth Halloway is to hang tomorrow. I know he's not guilty of murder any more than I am. The same witnesses that lied... The jury has found you guilty. The time for argument is past. You had your trial... And all that remains is for me to pass sentence. But, Judge, I it tell you... It is the sentence of this court that you be taken to the jail in the custody of the sheriff and on the morning of the 14th be hanged by the neck until dead. Well, listen to me. How come the same witnesses testify against everyone? Court is adjourned. Hold it. You all stay right where you are. There he is. There at the window. He's mad. he got two guns on us. What's this mean? Get him, Colonel. Come this way. Stop it. You, Indian, take your hands off the prisoner. You see here, you. Keep out of the way, Sheriff. You might get hurt. The Redskins take inside at the window. Who is he? Who's the man? Arrest them both, interfering with justice. Stop him. day the townsmen discussed the trial and the amazing abduction of the condemned man. Then toward evening the subject of conversation changed. Attention was focused on Seth Holloway, already tried and convicted of murder, who was sentenced to hang the following morning. Daybreak. Holloway slowly mounted the 13 steps of the scaffold. He had pleaded in vain, protesting his innocence against a string of men who claimed to be eyewitnesses to murder. On top of the platform, he saw a row of men who would officially witness his hanging. The sheriff was on hand with a deputy who would adjust the black hood over Seth's tired face. Innocent. I'm innocent. And they're to hang me. Near the sheriff stood the banker, a man named Steele, who was an official witness. If anything happens like yesterday, Sheriff, you'd better be ready to account for it. It won't. Still no sign of that mask man, huh? Nope, we're still hunting him and the redskin and Cy Hawkins. He won't interrupt this hanging? And by a darn sight. I've got guards posted all around. Good. Innocent. And they're to hang me. Halloway, this is it. You got any last words before we blindfold you? Sheriff, I... I know they ain't no use pleading now. But I hope someday, from where I'm going, to see those lying witnesses made to pay in full. Fix the blindfold. Not now. That voice. Who spoke? I did. Put on them goes. Up the prisoner's hands. It's the same man. You needn't look so closely, Banker Steele. My face isn't masked, but it is disguised. 
Hutto, bring up the horses. Uh, me come. That same redskin. If I'll let Sheriff, you'll pay for this. Jump down and get on that white horse. I'll be right alongside. Now hurry. My chance for life. Uh, you get up on Silver. Steady, Silver. You're not going to get away with this. Keep your gun in leather. Like fun, I will. But I'll fix it so you can't use it. Come on, Silver. Get him up, scout. Someone stop him. He's got another prisoner. Fire on them. Stop them. Call the posse. I'll Later in the day, Sheriff Carey defended himself weakly against the anger of Banker Steele, the wealthiest man in Lenape. The huge frame of the banker seemed to tower over the undersized lawman, and in his discomfiture, the sheriff seemed to shrink in his chair. The scene is the sheriff's office. I tell you, Steele, I did all I could. It ain't my fault the masked man rescued them, too. Shut up, you palaver and weak-kneed fool. I saw you give way to the masked man with my own eyes. You ain't got the spine of a jellyfish. I did my best. Your best ain't good enough. What do you mean? I put you in office, Kerry. I can put you out. You wouldn't. Wouldn't I? Kerry, I had you elected chair for one reason. To arrest the men I wanted out of the way. Well, that's what I've been doing. I supplied you with the evidence to hang them. Evidence that convicted them. But you let them get away. It's that mask man, Steele. He shows up when you don't expect him. Handles them six guns of his like grease lightning. Who is he? I don't know. Find him, arrest him. I can't. I've had men hunting everywhere. Kerry, if you don't get that masked man, you're finished. But I... You heard me. I don't know who he is, what he wants. But I get a sneaking suspicion. If I don't get him, he'll get me. If you'll just give me time. You had time. Sheriff Kerry, you wouldn't be thinking of double-crossing me, would you? Of course not, Mr. Steele. Anytime you get tired of your job, there's jail waiting for you. Oh, Mr. Steele. I've got evidence to use against you the same as the others. You don't have to worry about me. No, I reckon not. But if you let that other prisoner escape, you had better worry about me. Uh, Jeff Harris? He's safe in jail. He won't get out. I'm not so sure. What do you mean? With that mask on Bray around, like it's not Jeff Harris will be rescued before he's hung. The other two wasn't taken till he was ready for the noose. Harris ain't even been tried yet. We won't take chances. What do you mean? How would it be if Harris was to commit suicide in his cell? Suicide? Folks would figure he had a guilty conscience. Mm. How? It could be made to look like he hanged himself in his cell by his belt. It could be done. Tonight, after he's asleep. Will you be here? Of course not. Well, I'll need help. That's right. And I don't trust them deputies. I'll send over a couple of my own men to help you. <laughs> This'll be one hanging the masked man won't know about. Late that night... Three figures crept stealthily toward the cell where Jeff Harris slept. They were the sheriff and two men whom Banker Steele had assigned to help him accomplish his murderous errand. Grim-featured, shrewd-eyed men who made their living by the knife and the gun and the rope. Slowly, carefully, they crept toward the unsuspecting youth. Quiet, you fool. Did it wake him? I don't know. Sleeping. Come on, Gary. Now, 
Please get him. Put up your hand. What's that? Who's your sheriff? Bring Jeff Harris out of that cell, Toto. The mask man. What's going on here? His men came here to hang you, Jeff. I, I don't understand. You come. Don't let him take the prisoner, boys. Rush him. You handle the mask on me, sheriff. We'll jump the engine. As the two grim-faced men leaped into Jeff's cell to intercept Tonto in his attempt to free the youth, the sheriff lunged at the Lone Ranger. Quickly, the masked man returned his guns to their holsters and met the sheriff's attack with his fists. No, you don't. I'll get you. Yes. Oh. And take this, too. Fists flailed but briefly as the Lone Ranger countered the sheriff's charge with an expertly timed, excellently aimed blow, then floored him with a smash to the jaw. Meanwhile, in Jeff's cell, Tonto was more than holding his own against the two men who attacked him. You take this. You only risk and I'll get you for cracking my pot. No, you won't. As the second man leaped at the Indian to revenge his partner, he was suddenly intercepted by a tall figure who wore a black mask. Parrying the man's blow, the Lone Ranger put the complete force of his muscular shoulders behind a punch, sent his opponent reeling against the wall, then crashing to the floor. We finish plenty fast. Come on, Jeff. Where are you taking me? Where you'll be safe. But I don't Hurry, know. this way before they recover. Stop on my gun. It is. On my horse here. Up you come. But what's this? Up all? with you. Come on, Silver. Thundering in the night, the powerful horses carried the Lone Ranger, Jeff, and Tonto to a well-concealed camp in an arroyo not far from town. Hold Silver, hold on, hold on, Easy. You'll be safe here, Jeff. Where are we? At my camp. That mask. You're outlaws. We're your friends, Jeff. Huh? Why did you break me out of jail? Those men were going to hang you and make it appear as suicide. But one of them was a sheriff. Yes, and the others were Banker Steele's gunmen. Banker Steele? Steele planned to convict you for murder. I didn't kill Hank James. The evidence against me was fake. Fake by Steele. He framed you just as he framed the others. You mean the, the two you saved from hanging? I heard about that. Why does Steele want you out of the way? I, I don't know. First time I met him was when I made a deposit at his bank. How much did you deposit? $7,000. My uncle back east left it to me in his will. Well, that's reason enough for Steele to want to kill you. Huh? Holloway and Hawkins also had large deposits in his bank. I don't savvy this at it's all. simple enough. The bank's big depositors were prevented from claiming their money. Steele could take over their deposits. But there was evidence against the others. Four men saw Holloway and Hawkins do murder. Those four men could have been paid to testify falsely. By... by Steele? Yes. Then there... there have been men at my trial to swear I shot Hank James? Yes, Jeff. But the sheriff, he sheriff knows... Sheriff works hand in glove with Steele. Why, the low-down coyote... Now listen to me, Jeff. You've got to risk your neck to establish your innocence. Huh? As matters stand, you're out of jail. But you'll always be a hunted man. I know. If you'll risk hanging to help me, we can expose Steele and Sheriff Carey. And you can return home unmolested. I'd be with my wife again. And I can count on you? You bet, mister. Good. Holloway and Hawkins said the same thing. That makes... Five of us. Yeah, five. Five against Steele and his whole rotten setup. The curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger story. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. Now to continue our story. 
A few days later, a stranger entered Steele's bank and walked to the teller's window. He was well but conservatively dressed, suggesting a man of means. And in his hand, he carried a small black bag. Setting the bag on the floor beside him, he withdrew from it a thick package of banknotes. Then presented the bills together with a slip at the teller's window. I want to make a deposit. Surely, surely, stranger. Uh, how much? Ten thousand dollars. Here's a slip I filled out. Ten thousand? That's a lot of cash. Now I'm planning to open a business here. I'll have to get this approved by the boss. I'll be back in a minute. Mr. Seal. What do you want? A man here wants to make a deposit. Ten thousand dollars. How much? Ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand? Who? Uh, here's the slip. Lane Brand. Shall I put the deposit through? Certainly put it through. What do I hire you for? Here, let me sign that paper. Uh, yes, sir. And here you are. Ten thousand. Mr. Steele. Some stranger is making a deposit, Carrie. Ten thousand dollars. Yeah? And if I could count on you, I could clean up. Steele, I've done all a man can. You sure messed things up at the jail the other night. You and them dunderheads I told to help. Was that mask man again? I know it. And this time he turned Jeff Harris loose. That makes three escapes, Carrie. You don't have to worry, Steele. They won't show their faces in town again. They know they'd be arrested if they did. And you already took their bank deposits. Even so, if one of your prisoners escapes again... The next one won't get away, I'll promise you that. There won't be a next one, Carrie. Unless... Unless what? Unless we can frame the stranger that just came into the bank. Ten thousand dollars is a lot of money. Yes, but first I got to... Gunfire. Gave him outside. Maybe we can see from this window. <laughs> it's a stranger. He's bending over an engine. Yes, and the engine's been shot. <laughs> Carry that 10,000 is as good as mine. What do you mean? We'll railroad the stranger to a hang noose so fast it'll make his head swim. Come on. Hurrying to the street, Sheriff Carey and Steele elbowed their way through the gathering crowd. Angry voices rose as the crowd saw the inert form of a grave-faced Indian dressed in buckskin on the ground and a stranger standing over him. Then before their anger could be expressed in action... The sheriff and banker Steele pushed their way into the center of the crowded circle. Let me through. Make way for the sheriff. Stranger, you're under arrest. What for? Murder. I didn't shoot this engine, sheriff. He was standing over him. I ran to see if I could help him. Funny nobody else did. Nobody else was around. Sure, just you and the engine, so you shot him. Let me have your gun. I'll tell you, I found him there on the ground. <laughs> this engine's the one who helped free them murderers, Carrie. Darned if he ain't. Name's Tonto or something. Yeah. There's two bullet holes in this jacket. That settles it, stranger. What? There's two bullets missing from your gun. Well, that's a lie. I never... Touch him, Steele. Like as not, you'll find the shells on him. Glad to oblige, Carrie. Now, see here. You better hold your tongue, mister. Anything you say can be used against you. I'll tell you I'm innocent. We'll we'll let the court decide that. Find anything, Steele? Just a piece of paper. Hey, give me that. That's my bank receipt. You're mistaken, mister. This is nothing but a scrap of paper. It's a receipt for money I deposited. Shut up. Didn't find any shells, huh, Steele? No, Carrie. I guess he threw them away. Yeah. Well, that way there'd be less evidence. We got enough to hang him already. You're framing me, both of you. Hold on, Silver. Mask. The mask, man. Put your hands up. Carrie, if he takes this prisoner from me, you're through. Put down them guns. You're you're obstructing justice. Obstructing justice? You should know all about that, Sheriff. You and Steele. Hey, you. What? Remember, Carrie. 
If he takes the prisoner, if you let him get I away... I didn't I... come for the prisoner this time. Easy, big fella. I came for my friend. Montano, I'll get you out of here. Now's your chance, Kerry. Jump in, quick. Watch yourself, Sheriff. Shoot him. Shoot your fool. Well, I... Go ahead, Sheriff. Shoot me in the back. Steady, big fella. Come on, Silver. Hey, you slow-moving Mosshorn. Confound you, Sheriff. You let him get away. Carrying Tonto astride the great horse, Silver, the Lone Ranger raced back to the camp. When he arrived, the three fugitives he had saved from Sheriff Carey's justice were waiting. Pull, Silver, pull, boy, pull. Easy. He did a perfect job, Tonto. Uh-huh. Them plenty fooled. How did it come out? What happened? Did it work? Everything went as planned. They were so anxious to arrest Brandt, they glanced at the bullet holes in Tonto's jacket and took it for granted that he was shot. Can you beat that? That proves the sheriff's a crook. I can't wait to get my hands on that coyote. Steal Rob Brandt of his bank receipt. The sheriff took mine. Mine, too. Those receipts was our only claim to having cash in the bank. Now Steele's got them. He won't have them long. Them try to hang Brandt. Brandt won't have a chance at the trial. What'll we do? When the case comes up, We'll give Steele and the sheriff the biggest surprise of their lives. Brandt's trial was set for the following afternoon at the insistence of Steele, who was anxious to claim Brandt's $10,000 bank account as quickly as possible. Attracted by the unusual circumstances of the trial, a record crowd thronged the courtroom. A jury had been hastily summoned. And the witnesses, as was expected by the Lone Ranger, were picked by Steele. Brandt heard first one man, then another, take the stand and swear to lies against him. And uh, saw Brandt pull his gun and shoot the redskin. That's all, Your Honor. Judge. Judge, that man lies. Brandt? Brandt, sit down. You're out of order. My gun wasn't even fired. Don't believe him, Judge. I found two bullets missing. Well, sure they were missing. You took them from a gun yourself. You know you did, Sheriff. It's a lie. It ain't a lie. It's heavens, my witness. It's the truth. Everything those witnesses have said is a lie. A judge have got to believe me. These men are hanging me. With amazing speed, fake evidence was stacked against the man on trial. It was clear that Brandt had no hope of escaping the hangman's rope. Outside, watching the trial through a window, was a small group of men... Yeah. Are those witnesses the same men who testified against you? That's right. Me too. Reckon they'd have testified against me if you hadn't broken me out of jail first. I'd like to go in there and throw them lies right back in their faces. Yeah. When do we start? Not yet. Well, the jury's filing out. When they return with the verdict, Brandt will have his say. But what good will it do? Wait and watch. Inside the courtroom, there was a low hum of excited voices, punctuated by moments of tense expectancy as faces looked at the clock on the wall, which seemed inexorably to tick away Brant's life. When the judge and the jury returned, the defendant's fate would be officially sealed, but in the minds of the people who sat there, the decision soon to be rendered was all too apparent. Already it called for the death penalty. Suddenly, the jury filed back into the room, their foreman holding tightly to the paper whose few simple words held Brant's life in the balance. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. The defendant will stand and face the jury. 
The foreman will rise and read the verdict. We, the jury, in the case of the state versus Brand, find the defendant guilty of murder, and the first degree is charged in the indictment. Your Honor. Has the defendant something to say? I want to address the court. Well, make it short. I've been guilty of killing a man who has not even been proved dead. Order! Order in the court! Order! What do you mean by that, Brand? You heard the testimony of witnesses who examined the man and found him dead. I'll show you what I mean, Judge. My friends are taking over. What's that? All of you, stay seated. Won't anybody make a move? The masked man. Glory be. Kelly. Sheriff Kelly. There's Jeff Harris. What are you escaped? What is Order. Order in the court here. Order. And you'll see more of the escaped prisoners. Holloway. Hawkins. Bring in the Indian. We're coming. Here we come. With the engine on a stretcher. There's the other two fugitives. Holloway and Hawkins. Arrest those men. Stay right where you are. Judge, what sort of a trial is this? Be quiet, Steele. Everyone be quiet. Give me that gavel. Now, Judge, ask the witnesses if this is the engine Brant killed. Step up and answer the question. Is that engine on the stretch of the one? Let me have a look. Yep, that's him. Sheriff, do you agree? Yeah, that's the engine, all right. Steele, you take a look. Sure, it's him. What about it? Stand up, Tonto. Uh, me not dead. Me not even hurt. <laughs> We've been framed. Somebody double cross me. Order! Order in the court! Order! Quiet! Quiet! Judge, every one of the witnesses lied. That ain't so! Jeff, where was Collins when he said he saw Branch shoot? In the cafe, playing Farrell. Holloway. Where was Carson? He was at the blacksmith's. Brown was there with him. And Baird was home in bed. <laughs> Judge. Judge. Those same witnesses testified against all of these men. They were paid to lie by Steele. He wanted our money. That ain't true. Am I right? Speak up or you'll be jailed for perjury. Maybe one of you can turn state's evidence. Steele paid us to lie. I'll tell about it. Well, let me tell out those pictures. Framed. I've been framed, I tell you. It's a frame-up, Steele, but you framed it. You faked murder evidence against three fugitives for the same reason you did me. To claim their bank deposits. Prove it. Branch, you prove it. You deny I deposited $10,000 in your bank? I do. All my depositors get a receipt for the money. I've got one, too, Steele. <laughs> You're bluffing, Brandt. You know, dog. The receipt you I... took from me was a copy, Steele. The real receipt is here. Signed with your name. <laughs> I've heard enough. Steele, I'm appointing an honest lawman to investigate you and the sheriff right now. You needn't appoint anyone, Judge. The United States Marshal is here to take charge. Well, where is he? His name is Brant. Steele, he's arresting you and the sheriff for murder. Murder? Murder the men you accused Holloway, Hawkins, and Harris of killing. That's a that's a hanging charge. Yeah, but he's going to spring the trap on me. Put down that gun, Steele. Hey, move it up there. Good work, Tato. They won't need us now. Come on. Wait. Hold up there. Who, who are those men? That masked man. Masked man? Judge? He's the Lone Ranger. Glory be.
just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. Stay tuned for the Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to join Fred Allen in a show that was first aired in 1947. of Blue Cut Margarine and Tender Leaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, Mr. James Mason, Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarcos, Al Goodman, his orchestra, and Kenny Delmar. Ladies and gentlemen, statistics show that today American colleges are crowded worse than ever before. Tonight we present a man who never went to college... And he still has no class. He's Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Portland, I heard your news scoop at the opening of the program there about the colleges being jammed. Oh, Mama says it's a good sign. Colleges being crowded is a good sign. Mama says if enough people go to college... They'll get smart. Everybody will know what Philip Morris smokers know. You really? <laughs> now, do you mean in just uh, four years you could acquire that? Huh? Say, I wonder... I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how many packs of Philip Morris's you have to smoke before you know it all. <laughs> well, Portland... <laughs> I should have quit when there was nothing going on. <laughs> well, Portland, apart from food conservation, what is in the news this week? Somebody invented a meat substitute. It's called a Truman Burger. Oh, I saw that. A Truman Burger. I saw that. I wonder how they make a Truman Burger. Well, I... Don't let this get out, but I got the recipe from Charlie Luckman. The, uh, this is the recipe for the Truman Burger. The president puts two slices of bread on the piano... And then he plays one meatball. It's funny. Today's food is so important. What's funny? Well, they used to throw it at actors. Well, <laughs> that's what chased Jack Benny out of vaudeville, you know. Who? When they started to can it. Uh, speaking of Jack, reminds me. Did you hear Jack Parr this week? You mean the mad, mad thing? <laughs> You were so old, Boy Scouts had to help you across the street. Well, I hope that got a better laugh on Pa's program where he could... He uh, said you were mad at the younger generation. Well, Brother Pa may be a member of the younger generation, Portland, but he's telling the older generation's jokes. But enough, enough about the male Joan Davis. <laughs> 
getting to sound, you know, the, the East may fight the West before this. <laughs> this is uh, uh, getting to sound as though the program was coming from another network, which it may any minute, the way it looks. <laughs> I think I had better start for Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, this week, as you may have read, the Better Business Bureau is completing its 25th year of service. Thousands of cases of fraud and real estate stocks and other get-rich-quick schemes have been prosecuted. And so our question tonight is, have you ever been swindled by a disciple of sharp practice? Shall we go? As the man said when his wife grabbed his money at the racetrack, you bet. <laughs> Back in Allen's Alley, Portland, Senator Claghorn's gavel is on the front steps. I guess he doesn't give a rap tonight. Well, uh, well, let's knock. Who is it? I say, who is it calling on old Senator Claghorn? Oh, it's you, Well, son. Senator. Speak up, son. I've got to hop to it. I'm busier than a pump handle during a temperance picnic. <laughs> You, uh, I'm uh, writing a book. Writing a book? Well, Senator Wiley of Wisconsin wrote a book called Laughing with Congress. Yes. My book called Chuckling with Claghorn. Chuckling well, with Claghorn. I got one joke in my book. It's about the farmer. His land was so poor, he had to spread it with fertilizer before he could raise a frost on it. Do you mean that? <laughs> well, that's a belly whopper, son. Well, Start hooting and hollering. Yeah? Lean against something and watch your buttons pop. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Look, Senator, about this fraud business, have you ever been swindled? Well, son, back in 42, I was rooked to a fairly well by the slickest flim-flam and Tom Pepper that ever wore sideburns and bear grease on his hair. Well, how this is one man you're describing now. Uh, how did, uh, how did, <laughs> how did he cheat you, Senator? Well, I was running for office. This thimble rigger says... Flaghorn, if you want to get in, I'm your man. He could fix the election? I had a ballot box with a fire going in it and built-in votes. A fire? As they were deposited in the ballot box, a fire burned up all the other candidates' votes. And the built-in votes? They was all for me. You, uh, you couldn't lose. I was going in like Happy Chandler at a ball game. Oh. <laughs> I bought 200 ballot boxes with the built-in vote from this jack leg. Yes. The day of the election, something went wrong. With your fake ballot boxes, you didn't go in? I went in, son. Yes? I went in for 30 days. So long, so long, Well, that probably explains the senator's pallor. Well, I wonder if Mr. Moody's still up. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> Have you ever been the victim of a fraud? Why, only once. Uh, what happened? Well, one time I had to go up to New York to buy some new sport jackets for my scarecrows. <laughs> well, I was gimping up Broadway with a big wad of money in my shoe. Uh-huh. And the fellow, fellow wearing a checkered suit and a jazz bow tie, he pulled me into a doorway. I see. He says, Charlie... How'd you like to have security? Security, huh? Yeah. He says, Charlie, how'd you like to own your own toll bridge? <laughs> your own toll bridge? Yeah. When they're coming across, he says, Charlie, they'll be coming across for you. You, uh, you... <laughs> you fell for it? Yeah. I took off my shoe and I give that oily cuss all my money. For nothing? 
well, he gave me a blue uniform, a whistle, a rocking chair, and a collapsible turnstile. A turnstile, eh? Took me to a bridge. It was uptown, 175 streets. 170... Why, that's the George Washington Bridge. Uh, named for a president. Yes, it was. I, uh, I set up my turnstile, sat back in my rocking chair, and started blowing my whistle to collect my toes. What, uh, what happened? Why, cars kept shooting by me. Nobody stopped to pay nothing. You were on the New York side? Yes, yes. What did you do? Well, when I closed up my turnstile for lunch, I walked to the other end of the bridge. Uh-huh. And I seen right away what the trouble was. Well, what was the trouble? Three fellas with turnstiles at the other end was collecting all the tolls. <laughs> at the Jersey end? And it only goes to prove... To prove what? If you're thinking of opening a toll bridge across the Hudson... Yes? Don't open up on the New York side. You mean the money? The money is all at the other end? Yeah. People will pay anything to get out of Jersey. So long, <laughs> Titus has something there, and he's sure welcome to it. Well, let's, uh, let's try this next door. Hi, big kiddo. Oh. Mrs. Nussbaum, have you ever been involved in a swindle? Only once. Uh-huh. Like a greenhorn, I'm getting hoodwinked. Well, how? I'm seeing advertised the contest. Uh-huh. Write a jingle winner cash prize. Oh, do you write music? Do you? Mostly ballads. Oh, but what... <laughs> What are some of your ballads? It shouldn't be nothing fancy. Just a little grass shack on Delancey. I, uh, I see. I am sending you best wishes with this little dish of knishes. Very <laughs> And then I wrote... Then you wrote? <laughs> a herring, a hacienda, and you. Well, that's not... What, uh, what about this jingle contest? I am writing, remember, the letters F-M-E for Farfel, Noodles, and Epstein's Tea. Lindy's Restaurant saves all three. Farfel, Noodles, and Epstein's Tea. <laughs> What, uh, what happened when you mailed in your jingle? Monkey business is ensuing. <laughs> My jingle they are taking. Someone stole it? They are altering abyssal. Well, how do you... How do you know? Tonight I'm turning on my radio, I'm hearing... Remember the letters F-M-E for flavor, nutrition, economy. Now, wait a minute. Wait, why, that's a direct steal. What program was it? Who knows? Just as I'm listening, you are knocking on my door. Thank oh. you. Well, that brings, us, that brings us to the little shanty at the end of the alley. I talked with Vyshinsky for eight hours. What could you possibly talk to Vyshinsky about? Oh, we had one thing in common. One thing? I couldn't understand Vyshinsky. And? Vyshinsky couldn't understand me. <laughs> well, tell me, Ajax, have you ever been the victim of a hawks or a swindle? Oh, no, not personally, me boy. But a friend of mine was homogenized through the mail. <laughs> 
Dodge and I. The milk of human kindness was soured in his veins. <laughs> Who was this friend? Dr. Prentice McGee, the famous surgeon. Oh, I've heard of him. What happened? Well, a nefarious operator of a bucket shop in Brockville Center. Yes. He sold Dr. McGee sight unseen a Texas oil well. Well, where did the swindle come in? Well, the minute Dr. McGee bought the oil well... He started receiving urgent telegrams collect from Texas. Important messages? Oh, the first one said, Send $2,000, Derek fell down. The next? Send $3,000, Drill is bent. And then? Looks like a gusher. Send $5,000, need battles. <laughs> well, after the doctor sent all this money for his well, what happened? With the suddenness of a crescendo, the telegram stopped. Oh, gosh. Oh, the doctor called in the FBI. Yes? The well was non-existent. So the doctor lost $10,000 in the phony well. Oh, sure, it served him right. How come? The doctor should take care of the sick and let the well alone. Good morning. <laughs> We turn to greet the five DeMarco sisters, ably abetted by Maestro Al Goodman. The DeMarco sing Kate. Girl? from it is in Tenderleaf Tea Balls. That's why Tenderleaf Tea Balls outsell all other kinds. They are America's favorites because they are better in every way. The best part of it is that all these advantages are so practical in daily use in your home. The flavor of the tea comes first, of course, and that's famous for flavor Tenderleaf brand tea. Richer, more fragrant, more delicious. The crisp, clean, white individual packets are tasteless filter paper. That gives you convenience, efficiency, ease in serving, and flawless, crystal clear tea in your cup, filtered as it's made. Keep a supply of these better tea balls on hand for every occasion, for family meals, for guests, and especially for those dark blue days when you need quick comfort in a hurry. One tenderleaf tea ball in your cup, boiling water, and there you are. Yes, for every good reason, ask for a tenderleaf brand tea ball. Just a sample of Almost Like Being in Love, played by Maestro Al Goodman and his UN Orchestra. 
U-N meaning Union Nudniks. Say, uh, Portland. Yes? Will you keep things going until they get the horses set up on the Manhattan merry-go-round? Where's my beret and my bamboo cane? Are you going out? Yes, I have to run over to see James Mason. I've written a movie for Mr. Mason. You know, it may be his first American picture. How did you ever get James Mason to go into your picture? Well, if you won't let this get out, I'll tell you. Last Tuesday, I finished writing my scenario, and I started over to the Mason apartment. This must be the place. I guess Mr. Mason is at home, too. This sign on the door says, Odd Man In. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll knock, see what happens. Hello, Fred. Well, James Mason. James, I, uh, I haven't seen you since you were on my program last June. What have you been up to? Well, I spent a very nice summer out on the island. On the island? Long Island? Coney Island. <laughs> you spent the entire summer at Coney Island? Yes, it was thrilling. Thousands of people milling around on the boardwalk. Millions of people sitting on the sand and on each other. <laughs> did, did, uh, did you go into the water? They have water there? Yes. I must tell my wife. She will be surprised. Oh, yes. Some Sundays at Coney Island, it's so crowded, the tide uh, can't even come in. The tide has to go over to Far Rockaway and come in twice. But tell me, what, uh, what else have you been doing? I attended the World Series. An Englishman at the World Series? Did, uh, did you like it? Yeah, I've never, never had such music in all my life. Music? Yes, Guy Lombardo's orchestra, excellent. And the way that Lucy Monroe sang your national anthem, it brought me to my feet. It did, really? What, uh, what happened after Lucy finished singing? Oh, a lot of chaps in bloomers started running around. <laughs> There's no more music, so I went home. Well, tell me, while you were in the park, did you try one of our American hot dogs at the no, park? No, no. To me, a hot dog on a roll looks like an Indian's finger lying in state. <laughs> Did, uh, didn't you eat anything at the World Series? As I was leaving the park, the whole Brooklyn crowd was yelling, Cookie. <laughs> cookie? And you didn't turn back? I never eat dessert, old boy. <laughs> James, I'll tell you why I'm here. Now, you, you haven't been working lately, have you? No, not in pictures, but I've been on several radio programs. Oh, really? What uh, programs? Well, I appeared on Take It or Leave It. Well, how did you make out? Just as I was about to try for the $64... Yes? Some chap in the audience shouted, You'll regret it! <laughs> you, re you tried for the $64? Yes. And what happened? That chap in the audience was correct. <laughs> You regretted it? I also regretted the giant jackpot. You regretted it? <laughs> Tell me, were you on any other programs? I'm going to be on another program this week. Oh, with uh, Jack Eigen? Uh, no, I haven't... <laughs> I haven't come to that, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little thing called Information, Please. Oh. I'm worried about answering those questions. Oh, it's nothing, James. I've been on Information, Please ten times, and I don't know anything. Yeah, but with me, it's different, Fred. Different how? I'm stupid. <laughs> 
Well, look, James, if you want to be able to answer every question on that program, why don't you try my system? What's your system, Fred? When I'm on information, please, I go to the studio ten minutes early. I walk in, hang up my hat, go over to the guest table, sit down in a big chair, lean over to John Kieran, and I say, John, what do you know? <laughs> By the time John Kieran gets through telling you what he knows, you can't miss a thing on that program. Thanks, Fred. I'll try that. Well, now let's get down to business, James. I, uh, I have written a picture for you. Now, I'm only good in certain types of stories, Fred. Well, I sense that, James, and my picture is definitely for you. It will be bigger than I married a zombie. Ah. <laughs> What's the story about, Fred? Well, the picture opens with a fanfare. J. Arthur Allen Pictures Limited presents James Mason in The Perfect Crime. I am Norbert Nottingham, known to Scotland Yard as Nobby the Nark. <laughs> Sitting here in Old Bailey waiting to be hanged, I cursed the fate that sealed my doom. I had planned the perfect crime. Something went wrong. What? That day at home, after I'd worked out my crime in detail, I rang for my faithful houseboy, Chung. Oh, you Ling or Mr. Nottingham? Yes, Chung. Sir Stafford Pipps, the inventor, will be here any minute. Oh, very good. When he comes, Chung, I want you to go out into the garden and peek through the window. Oh, very good. Chung, I'm going to kill Sir Stafford. When the police arrive, you will be grilled. I want you to say that you saw Sir Stafford come in, place a paper on the table, take out a gun, and shoot himself. Do you understand? Oh, Chung, you recap. Chung, go outside, peek in the window. Please grill Chung. Chung, say Sir Stafford put paper on this, take out gun and shoot self. You won't forget. Not a China monster chain. alibi was perfect. I knew I could depend on Chung. There was that little affair at Limehouse he'd rather I didn't mention. <laughs> Three o'clock. Sir Stafford would soon arrive. He was bringing the plans of an invention that would make me the richest man in the world. Someone was at the door. It was Sir Stafford. I'll open the door, Mr. Nottingham. Cat! I thought it was the maid's day off. It was too late to turn back. I had to commit the perfect crime. And now, King Sir Stafford Pips. Oh, Nobby, old fig. Sir Stafford, old prune. <laughs> Have you brought the plans? Oh, right, oh. This is my greatest invention. Here are the plans. I'll take those plans, Sir Stafford. I say, Nobby, put down that gun. Ah! perfect crime had been committed. The plans were mine. Quickly wiping off my fingerprints, I placed the gun in Sir Stafford's hand. The maid opened the door. Mr. Nottingham, I heard a shot. I know. Blimey, it's Sir Stafford. It's suicide. You better call the police. Righto. I chuckled as I heard the maid on the telephone. Operator, help! Police, suicide! I laughed as I heard the police on my radio. Summoning all vehicles. Summoning all vehicles. Calling Detective One Long Pan. Suicide at Norbert Nottingham Residence. Calling one long path. Ah, oh, greetings and shalom alakam, kiddie. 
Detective One Long Pan, Oriental Dick Patrice on job. Chababa, chababa, chababa. Long, long pan sure to get you lava. Chababa, chababa, long pan, long pan and good voice tonight. Make Perry Como take bromo. Long pan. <laughs> Oh, I say, old boy, will you stop that singing? Who, who are you, little man? I am Norbert Nottingham. What do you do here, Mr. Norbert Nottingham? I live here. Very good. You have two dollars. You like to try for four? <laughs> this is ridiculous. You look at it. Oh, look at it. Long time solve crime and no time. What is uh, confidentially what, uh, what, uh, what is Clive? Sir Stafford Pipps has been shot. Very good. Long panelist, you, Mr. Norbert Nottingham, for shooting Sir Stafford Nipps. Sir Stafford shot himself, you nincompoop. He, he committed suicide. Suicide. Likely story. Oh, Mr. Nottingham. Oh, lady in the loom. Long pan, Shushé la Flemme. <laughs> Don't be silly. This is only my maid, Martha. You, you come a little closer, baby. Long pan, long pan give you fast frisk. <laughs> hands off me. You ain't no osteopath. You, you fess up, Martha. What, uh, confidentially, what, what happened? I was in the kitchen cleaning a bloater. I was just reaching for the bloater's appendix when I heard a shot. Very good, very good. I ran into the study. So Stafford's deader than me bloater. He's done himself then. Precisely. <laughs> now can I show you to the door, Long Pan? Not so fast, Mr. Nottingham. Long time first examine body. Oh, ho, you see, in Sir Stafford's hand... What? A la wallowa. You bet, long pan, unless you again, Mr. Solberg Nottingham, for murder, Sir Stafford Hoosie. But I tell you, I didn't kill him. I can produce an eyewitness. Who? Who is eyewitness? My houseboy, Chung, he saw everything. Oh, you knowing Mr. Nottingham? Oh, ho, China boy, Lansman. Oh, Lans ho. I told you I had a perfect alibi, Long Pan. Long Pan, not entirely convinced. Story sound like bloater, practically fishy. What did Chung say? Chung say you sent him out to tend the garden. That's right. I have two meat-eating plants. I told Chung to put napkins on the plants before he served their lamb chops. Very good. Chung, you, you in garden? What, uh, what, what you see in garden? Uh, Chung peeked through window or Sir Stafford come in a study. Sir Stafford, very good. Oh, Sir Stafford put paper on this. Very good. Oh, Sir Stafford pull out gun and committed suicide. There's my alibi, Long Pan. Holy smoke. Chung, Chung, oh, Chung, oh, Chung. You see plenty through window. Oh, you bet. Oh, Chung, some kid, oh, peeking Tom. <laughs> long time make had lived. Long time funny bunny should be on radio. Oh. Get the big hooper. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Break it up. Pipe down, pipe down, boy. Joke over, joke over, boy. What's wrong, long pan? Long pan, unless you, Mister Nottingham, throw it a final time for murder, Sir Stafford Hips. But why should I kill Sir Stafford? This plan on a table. Long pan only now, just now, catch on. You see plan X equal Y plus double root divide by Z multiply hypotenuse plug in wall. You see plan for super duper a magnet. Gad, you understand it? Long pan no small. Long... <laughs> 
Long Pan Graduate CCNY. <laughs> Magna Cum Laundry. Long Pan Fly by Night Beta Kappa. You fetch up. Motive Magnet. Yes. It was to be the biggest, biggest magnet in the whole world. Very good. Pointed from England in the direction of the United States, the magnet would have drawn all the gold out of Fort Knox. Holy. <laughs> Holy. More. Sir Stafford was giving it to Ernie Bevan for Christmas. <laughs> ah, but you, Mr. Nottingham, you kill Sir Stafford to use magnet catch him gold yourself. You plan, a, you, you, a long time catch you, you fetch up. But what about my alibi? Chung saw everything through the window. Chung say nothing. Alibi phony baloney. You mean? On window is Venetian, you see, Venetian blind. To look through Venetian blind, must see through straight crack. But Chung... Chung, China boy. China boy, eye slant. Impossible with slanting eyes to look through straight crack with Venetian blind. I give up, Long Pan. You're too much for me. Confucius say man who use Venetian blind for alibi, shady character. <laughs> Confucius spell backward, Joe Miller. Oh, oh Long Pan, not tonight. Can you top this? Long Pan, oh, oh Long Remind you to remember Blue Bonnet Margin and tenderly tea on your shopping days. I want to thank Mr. James Mason for his visit tonight. Next week, our guest will be our good friend Jack Haley. Thank you and good night. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Saint, followed by The Red Skelton Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.